0: Amen. Okay, so our, our ushers are going to pass those by, drop those cards in there. Um, if you missed it, my name is Benger. I'm one of the pastors here at Flourishing Grace Church. And um, our lead pastor, Josh Knight, um, is away this weekend. Um, our our uh, staff team, leadership team, just went to a, uh, a conference to talk about church planning in Southern California. I mean, it was really terrible. We were suffering for Jesus the whole time there in Irvine, California. Um, we had a great week of, of just uh, being able to connect with one another as a team and also learn about what it means to be the kind of church that isn't just here for people in our church, but, but is here for people in our communities who desperately need to know that there's a God who loves them and, and a Jesus who died for them, and it was a great week. Josh and his wife, uh, Desiree, and their family are taking um, a few days, extra days of much-needed R&R, and so he'll be back next week, and uh, I just want to start this week um, just to to kind of ask you guys a question. Have you ever been in a a position or witnessed somebody or something where before um, somebody was one way, and then they went through some sort of transition, and they were a totally different person another way? Like, this can happen on a big scale. It can happen on a small scale. I feel like, as a parent, I experience this all the time. Um. I remember when, when, when my kids were infants. Um, maybe you've experienced this. Sometimes, you know, dads get really cocky when we're the ones that kind of quiet down the baby, and it's like, yeah, you see, we got the daddy's touch, right? And then, like two minutes later, the baby's screaming again, and we're we handing it over to mom. Like, I don't know what to do. Like, what happened? We wish we knew how somebody went from the transition of being totally happy to 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 not happy. As well, thank you for making my point right there. Now. This happens continually, you know, as a parent. There are times in our house when when somebody will wake up and, and everything's great and then all of a sudden it's like a flip, a, a switch is flipped and all of a sudden, uh, you know, one of our kids is just grumpy and, and we can't figure out anything that happened, like anybody hurt you? What happened? No, they're just kind of in a bad mood. Um, I don't know where they get that from because their, their parents are never grumpy. Their parents never wake up grumpy because sometimes the other thing, the other, other side of that happens. Sometimes kids will wake up grumpy, right? Again, I don't know where they get this from. I'm never grumpy in the morning. Kids will wake up grumpy and you, you're, you're kind of like, you know, gearing up for battle. Like when we have school mornings and things are not going well, I'm ro- rolling up the dad, all, you know, sleeves and like, all right, we're going to get this parenting on. Like we're going to get out of this house dressed. I don't care if you're in a bad mood. They come out of their room and they're like, hey dad, how's it going? Oh, we're cleaning? Great. Can I I help dust something? You know what I mean? Like all of a sudden, a switch is flipped and you're like, what happened? Because we desperately want to know what caused that transition. And again, this happens on a grand scale as well. In fact, the author of what we're going to look at today experienced this kind of transition in his life. It's a guy named Paul. Um, We've been in this series um, called Only Jesus, and what we're doing is we're walking through this letter that this guy named Paul wrote to the church in Colossae, a letter to the Colossians. And here's what happened in Paul's life. His before picture, before kind of this transition, this transformation, was Paul lived around the time of Jesus. Paul, uh, after Jesus died, rose again from the dead, this Jesus movement got started and people started to put their hope and their trust in Jesus because once you see somebody die and then rise again from the dead, you start to believe what they said, right? Now Paul didn't think that this could possibly be true. He didn't believe it for a couple of reasons. First of all, he didn't really believe that God would come to earth like that. And second of all, he didn't believe that God just kind of would give out forgiveness like that just because Jesus or somebody would die on the cross for us. You know, has God really work that way? Paul thought, no, you got to do these things. You got to fulfill these laws. You got to do these, 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 these checklists. And so for Paul, he considered this idea that Jesus died for us and that God forgives us because of that a very dangerous idea. And so as a religious leader, part of his job was to go from town to town, to round up followers of Jesus, especially leaders in this young movement, put them in prison, arrest them, and even at times oversee their execution. That's Paul's before picture. Now, his after picture is this. Paul is continually still going from town to town, except instead of rounding up followers of Jesus being against this movement, he's telling everybody he can about Jesus. And instead of being the one to put people into prison, he's the one being put in the prison. And eventually, he's the one that is executed by the Roman government for telling people about Jesus. It's a complete 180, a complete switch. And today what we're going to read, Paul actually describes a little bit about how that works. He's going to describe it in a general sense. If you want to hear this story about what happened in Paul's life, you can look in Acts chapter 9. It's a great story. But today he's actually going to recount to the Colossians in kind of a general sense how somebody goes from that before to after picture. We're in week three of this series, and last week, what we heard from uh, JR JR was a guest preacher with us last week, and, and it was just absolutely amazing. In fact, you could do yourself a favor right now if you get up, walk outside this room, and go online and, and listen to last week's sermon because it was so amazing. And what JR did is, is he walked through a little bit of a passage just before what we're going to look at today. And he gave us kind of the big picture of what Jesus has been up to in this world, especially when it comes to his work in this world and reconciling uh, the world to himself. Essentially, J.R. pointed out from from this text that Paul wrote that that Jesus was, was firstborn of all creation, that not only was he... Um, was he God? But he came to Earth. He was one hundred percent God, one hundred percent human. So he had the authority to die on the cross uh, for for the world and to to make peace in this world. Essentially, if you kind of think of it this way, what we talked about last week was, was looking at God's work in this world and Jesus' rescue of us at kind of a 30,000 foot level. Like if you're flying on an airplane, I love flying on airplanes. Um, I love to sit by the window seat, I kind of have to elbow my kids if they're with me sometimes. They're like, no, I get the window seat because I love, sometimes I do that, not all the time, because I love to look out the window. And I grew up in the mountains of Colorado, so if I fly from Denver to Salt Lake or Salt Lake back to Denver, um, I love to look out the window and point out, you know, the things that that I grew up with. I know that town. There's my town. There's, you know, our high school rivals over there. Because I know the lay of the land, and our city that I grew up in, actually a little town, is right by this huge lake, and so I love pointing that out. I can see those from up there, but the thing is, I can't go all the way down to the ground and see the details and say, okay, that's where I used to park my car at my house. You know, That's, that's a, the, the, the place where I used to uh, play baseball. You don't see these little details about what people are doing every day when you're up there. You just kind of see the lay of the land. That was what last week was like. When we talk about this good news of Jesus reconciling the world to himself, that's kind of what we looked at last week. This morning, what we're going to walk through is kind of zoom in and consider what does that look like in individuals' lives. Now, to get us started, we're actually going to reread what we read last week really quickly just to get us a sense of what Paul is getting at. We're going to be in um, Paul's letter to the Colossians. Um, If you have a Bible, you can flip that open. It's it's in kind of the last quarter of the Bible. You can open up your Bible app. I recommend the YouVersion app. If you didn't bring a Bible or don't have a phone or you don't have one at home, um, you can reach underneath your seat. There's a white Bible underneath your seat, and we're going to be in page 572 in that Bible. If you don't have a Bible at home, you're welcome to put your name in that one, take it home. It's our gift to you. We want you to steal it, and you can say you stole a Bible from a church. So Colossians chapter 1, this is what Paul is saying, verse 15, what we covered last week. He, meaning Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. Jesus is in charge of it all. All things were created Through him, it's through Jesus these things were created, and for him, he is over it all. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. We get this sense of the bigness of who Jesus is and the authority he has to do what he came to do. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn of the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent, of the utmost importance. For in him, the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Jesus, not only 100% God, but 100% human. And through him, to reconcile himself to all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of of his cross. In other words... Jesus is on this huge mission, remember Remember from the 30,000 foot level, uh, we see this, this is what Jesus is up to, he's making peace in this broken world, reconciling this world to himself. And then Paul continues on, and this is where we're going to jump in today. Verse 21, he says, and you. And we're going to pause here for a second before we move on. Because some of you, this is why you're here this morning. Some of you, and, and I kind of believe this when, when I first started hearing about who Jesus was when I was in college and, and, and before I put my hope and, and trust in Jesus and started following him. Um, some of us believe, and you might be in this boat, you might say, okay, I, I get that God is love. Okay, that's not, that's not a huge issue for you. you. You believe there is a God. You believe that he is good and that he is loving. But the issue is this. You see what he's up to in this world and say, yeah, God is up to all this, this, this stuff. He's, he's up to this mission in this world. Jesus came to earth but you don't believe it actually applies to you. Like you believe in some way that if God loves you, it's because he has to love you. It's not because he likes you. It's because he is love, and so I guess God has to love me. And Paul says, no, you know this big picture, this story of God working in this world, this cosmic level, if we zoom down, he's doing it in you, Paul says, and you. This whole thing he's up to, and you, it involves you. 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 God is not up to just something in a general sense, and you're kind of along for the ride. God wants to work in your life individually. And you. Paul says, and you who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now "'Reconciled in his body of flesh by his death "'in order to present you holy and blameless "'and above reproach before him. "'If indeed you continue in the faith, "'stable and steadfast, "'not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, "'which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, "'and of which I, Paul, became a minister.'" Now, there's kind of three things that Paul is getting at here when he says, okay, what does it look like? What is, when, when somebody goes from before Jesus to after Jesus, what, is, what does that process look like? What has God up to in the world, in our individual lives? What does that look like? There's kind of three components Paul talks about here, and, and they kind of line up um, verse by verse here. The verse, verse is here, and you who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, dot, dot, dot. And here's the thing. I think of the three components of what Paul is talking about here, this is the hardest one to believe. And the reason is this. Nobody wants to believe this about ourselves, right? I mean, like, okay, nobody's perfect, Benji, right? Nobody's perfect, but alienated from God? hostile in mind, doing evil deeds? I mean, what Paul is getting at is, is if we are alienated from God, that's not just like, man, this, you know, we kind of fight it out and, and, and then hug it out and everything's good afterwards. This, is, this relationship is broken, hopelessly broken, hopelessly separated. And on top of that, we, apart from Jesus, are hostile in mind. What it means to be hostile is, is to, be, to violently oppose somebody. Right? If somebody is hostile to our nation or, or somebody's hostile to us in our workplace, right, they, everything they do opposes us. And so, what this is saying is that not only are we separated, alienated from God, but we are opposing Him. Basically, we, we caused this brokenness, but we're blaming Him for it. So, God, you did this. We're alienated. You did this. This is your fault. I didn't do this. The reason why this relationship is broken is you. It's kind of like when when you're in a fight with somebody and you're saying, listen, I'm not going to say I'm sorry until they say I'm sorry. Because it's their fault. That's what we do to God. Alienated, hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. The necessary progression is that when we are alienated from God, apart from Jesus, the necessary progression is that it leaves a wake of destruction around us because of how we hurt other people. And here's why we don't want to believe this about ourselves. That apart from Jesus, we are alienated, that we are hostile in mind and doing evil deeds. Because we read evil deeds, we say, no, Benjamin, let me tell you about evil deeds. Evil deeds is not me. I, I, I make mistakes every now and again. But let me tell you about evil deeds. That's somebody sitting on the 32nd floor of a hotel room picking off concert goers just because. We have no reason for it. That's evil deeds. Evil deeds is somebody sending 6,000 people to their death because of their ethnic background or because they have disabilities, because there's somebody to experiment on. That's evil. Not perfect, but doing evil deeds, come on, Bencher. I mean, really? Here's the thing I'm not trying to make you feel bad about yourself, I'm trying to give us an accurate picture of who we are a part. From Jesus. And here's the thing, I, I, I'll leave these words to set with you and, and you to make sense of them what, what you will. But here's what I know, there's, there's two things that happen when we don't believe this first about ourselves. First thing is this, when we think that apart from Jesus, we're not that bad, what Jesus did for us isn't that great. When we think apart from God, we're not that bad, what Jesus did for us isn't that great. Because if we, didn't have, if we weren't that broken, if we weren't that hostile, if it wasn't really an alienated kind of relationship, it was just, yeah, I did a few things and I need to say I'm sorry, then what Jesus did for us wasn't that great. Second thing is this. When we don't think we're that bad apart from Jesus, when we see that evidenced in somebody else's life, and come on, this is important, what we do is we stand in judgment over somebody else when we see that. Can you believe that guy who did that in Las Vegas? Can you believe what she's doing? Oh, man, look at her life. I can't believe that happened. She let that happen. Well, you know, I know all about that. When we don't think we're that bad apart from Jesus, when we don't apply these, uh, these, these, these qualities to our lives, that apart from Jesus, that we are alienated, we are hostile towards him, and that we do evil deeds, we leave a wake of destruction around us. When we don't think we're that bad without Jesus, we look at other people's lives with disdain and judgment. That's what happens. You might be in here, you might say, Benji, that's actually why I walked away from Jesus. That's why I walked away from church or I I didn't really want to engage because I went there and people pointed a finger at me and said, look at you. You're alienated, hostile, mind-doing, evil deeds. I can't believe that. When the reality is, All of us, apart from Jesus, are alienated from God, hostile towards him, doing evil deeds. We have no hope apart from Jesus. Paul goes on. Verse 22, he says, He has now, meaning Jesus, all these things are true, okay? We were once alienated, hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. Jesus is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. What, what, what Paul is doing is playing off the ideas from the previous verse that if we were alienated from God, by Jesus' death, Jesus reconciled us to God, which is absolutely incredible. When, when you think about when, when we sit with ourselves in the dark moments and we sit with the things that we have done that we never want anybody to find out about, you know, it, it's, it's more than just, man, I made this mistake or I did this. When we sit with those things, it's really a miracle that we are reconciled. To him. And the only way that happens, Paul says, is because Jesus died for us. He died a death in, in, in the body is body of flesh. The reason why Paul points that out is apparently in the Colossian church there was this idea that, that there's no way God would really die. Right? There's no way that he would really come to earth. And so before Jesus died on the cross, Jesus' spirit kind of went off because there's no way God would do that, because God is God. He wouldn't ever stand in our place and die the death that we deserve. And Paul says, no, that's exactly what he did. And what's really cool is usually we think about it this way, is is that when we think of our brokenness and our alienation and hostile towards God, and what we think about is we, we have a debt to God that we can never repay, which is absolutely true, right? And when Jesus died for us, we kind of come back to zero, right? He paid our debt, right? Which is absolutely true. But many times we stop there. And Paul says, no, 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 that's not where we stop. Paul says that not only did he do that, he he did this in order to present us holy and blameless and above reproach before him. And what this means is this, is that not only did Jesus take upon himself your sin, your penalty of punishment for what you have done to pay our debt, he also gave us his own righteousness. Jesus, the preeminent God, in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell lived a perfect life here on earth, gave us the righteousness he deserved. So that when God looks at us, he doesn't see our track record because we know our track record, right? And when God looks at us, if we put our hope and trust in Jesus, he doesn't look at us because of anything we've done because if we try to say, hey God, I know I did all these things, but here's my report card. I mean, that's just, we know what we've done. But we stand before God and God says, that is somebody, if you are in Jesus, that is somebody who is holy and blameless Without reproach, above reproach, and we can never claim that for ourselves. It is what Jesus did for us. He doesn't just stick us in the corner and say, "Don't screw anything up till I come back." He says, "No, you are holy and blameless and above reproach before me. Not because of anything you did, but because of what Jesus did for us." For us. Second, uh, the third component of this that that, that Paul talks about is this, verse 23, he says, if indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven. This this universal gospel. Now, this is what Paul is getting at. It's easy to read this sentence and and say, oh, if, if, right? That's an an if-then statement, so there must be coming a list of provisos. A list of, okay, you've got to do these things. If you do these things and you stay away from these things, then you get to be a follower of Jesus. Then you are saved. I had a friend, when I was in college, um, I worked downtown one summer, downtown Denver, and I had a friend, kind of worked in a mailroom type setting, and I had and just begun following Jesus, and, and we were talking about it. He said, oh yeah, I'm a Christian too. I don't drink, cuss, or smoke, right? I mean, for him, there was a list that made him a follower of Jesus, that put him in the standing of God's grace. He sees this if, and he says, oh yeah, there's, there's, there's things that we have to fulfill so that we can then have the then statement. Then God loves you. And that's not the sense that Paul is getting at here. Paul says, if indeed, this little turn of phrase is not an if-then statement in terms of if you do these things, then God will hold up his end of the bargain. What he is describing is what a life who is in Jesus, who has given their life over to Jesus, whose hope is in Jesus, looks like. And you'll notice that. The reason why we know this is true is what follows is not a list of do's and don'ts. It's a list of where somebody puts their hope, their trust, So instead of kind of a a list of ifs, like last night when we got home from California, uh, our girls really wanted to watch a show and kind of relax. They were kind of burnt out from the week, had a lot of fun, but they just wanted to sit with their family, watch a show. And so we had a list of ifs, all right? If you eat your dinner and, you know, you take less than an hour. I mean, like, come on, like you know, sit there at the dinner table the whole time. You got to eat your dinner quickly, all right? You got to get your jammies on. You got to brush your teeth. Then we can sit down and watch a show. And many times we approach God that way. We see this if and we say, oh, that must be the way God works. But that's not what Paul is getting at. This if indeed is really about what does it look like if somebody has truly given their life to Jesus. And what he says is not a list of do's and don'ts. He says, if indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel which you heard. And what's interesting is the image Paul gives is about where we stand. And, and this is so hard to picture, and, 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 and the picture I have in my mind is this. It's not perfect, but, but I think it hits home, is, is the picture of marriage. Now, in marriage, in, in the lives of people we've seen around us, I've known many different things going on in many different marriages. There's one couple, uh, Jennifer and I, know we, know we know their kids, and we know the story. Um, there's one couple that we know of where there was gross infidelity in their marriage, and we're not talking just like a one-time thing, but going on for years and years and discovered, and and just completely broken, completely unhealthy, and you would just write off that marriage and say, no, there's no way that's continuing. And then there's marriages that we know, people who are followers of Jesus, where there's, there's nothing huge going on. I mean, no marriage is perfect, and all the time there's struggles and things happen, and we get at each other. But, but when you look at it, it's just really about butting heads. And they give up, and they go their separate ways. You say, what's the difference between, between those two? This over here should not have survived. And, and the difference is this. They did not shift from their commitment to the marriage, not just to each other, but to the marriage. Now, this breaks down at a certain point because in our relationship with God, God is the one who is perfect, but we are not. But the image I want to give is this. It is not a list of do's and don'ts that keeps us in God's grace. It is God's grace that keeps us on the hope of the gospel. The image Paul gives is as if we are standing on the hope of who Jesus is. That when we are broken, and believe me, we are broken. If anybody here got a mask on, there's not a perfect person in this room. There are things that we have done after following Jesus... That most people would be like, I can't believe you did that. I mean, don't you follow Jesus? We all have those things in our lives. It is not a list of do's or don'ts that keeps us in God's grace. It is just simply not shifting from that hope. When we are broken, we say, okay, we're not going to shift from this hope. When the world batters us, when things are happening, and we just feel knocked down, we feel tempted to look somewhere else for our hope, we say, we are not shifting from this hope. And when we are knocked down, we fall on this hope. And it's, it's such a, a quick turn to be able to say, okay, so that's a list of do's and don'ts, but it isn't. If you look at the life of somebody who follows Jesus, you will not see perfection. Even if they follow Jesus for decades, you will not see perfection. You will not see times where, where they put their eyes somewhere else and they forget about what it means to hope in Jesus. What you will see is that when they stand in the storm, they cling to Jesus. And when they fall, they fall on Jesus. Paul says that's what it means. When you are a follower of Jesus, this is true in your life. That's what this means. It's not a list of do's and don'ts. It's where we keep our hope. So this idea that Paul is saying that we are alienated, that apart from Jesus, we are alienated from God, that Jesus reconciled us to God through his death, And that in our lives, it's not just about being a changed life, but it's that we never shift our hope from that. It's it's not about anything we do. It's just that if we've really put our hope and trust in Jesus, then we fall on that time and time again because life is hard. We are broken. So the question is, what does this mean for us? There's a few things, three things. The first one is this. If you're here and you're not a follower of Jesus... Right? Maybe somebody tricked you to come and say they buy you lunch afterwards. Maybe there's a cute guy, cute girl. I don't know, whatever it is. If you're here and you say, yeah, this isn't me. This is what I would implore of you. Apart from Jesus, you are alienated from God, hostile towards him and it shows up in the wake of destruction around you. Now, I don't say this with a hint of judgment because you know what's true about me? That apart from Jesus, I am alienated from God, that I am hostile towards him, that there is a wake of destruction around me. If you knew my life, if you knew my relationships, you would look back and say, man, that guy's a pastor. Do you see the wake of destruction around him? If that is you and you have yet to put your hope and trust in Jesus, I'd implore you to be reconciled to God today. You say, well, how do I do that? What do I do? Listen, I've thought this week about what this looks like. Sometimes we have people come forward. Sometimes we raise our hands. Sometimes we stand. And the more I think about it, it's really, it's not about what we do. It's just simply handing over our lives, admitting, yes, this is true about me. I'm alienated from God. I'm hostile towards him. I put on a smile. But you know what? I know what's true in my life. I know my heart. And there's a wake of destruction around me. I have no hope apart from Jesus. And so God, I stand on you in the hope of just what Jesus did for me. I don't know what that entails. I'm not gonna be perfect. But today I I choose to say yes to Jesus and be reconciled to God. You have yet to do that. I implore you to do that today. If you are here a follower of Jesus, um, there's, there's a couple of things. And you may have um, noticed that we haven't finished uh, the passage yet. We'll get there in a minute. But, but kind of the first thing is this. What we just talked about, about this hope. Remember, this is not about do's and don'ts and are you in or are you out. Life is difficult, and so I'd implore you, if you're a follower of Jesus, there will be times, today may be one of them, when you are just being battered, when your own brokenness just discourages you, when you're in a relationship and, and, and you're doing everything you can and you just feel like, man, this is, everything is against me. When there's a diagnosis, when there's a, a, a job loss, what I implore you to do is stand on that hope, whatever that means for you. Second thing is this. Paul finishes the passage by saying this. He talks about the hope of the gospel, and he says, "'Of which, this gospel, I, Paul, became a minister.'" Now, what Paul says he means here by minister, he doesn't mean like, okay, the guy standing on stage with a microphone. The word that he uses is actually the same word that we, we use for the word deacon. If you've been around church a while, you may have heard this word, um, but where it comes from is in Acts, uh, beginning of Acts in the early church, um, people were raised up who had, had just beautiful hearts, and they loved to serve people, and there were needs in the community, and so these people were appointed to fulfill the physical needs, make sure the people who are hungry um, were fed. The people without jobs had resources. The widows were cared for. The orphans were cared for. That was their role. They were servants. And what Paul says is, I am a servant of this gospel. And for Paul, this going from being somebody who opposes this this movement to being one of the biggest proponents goes from putting followers of Jesus in prison and overseeing their execution to being the one put in prison and, and being executed. The natural progression for him saying, I was alienated, I was hostile towards God, but Jesus reconciled me back to God. The natural progression for him is this, that he becomes a servant of this gospel. They go together. Because he says, my life cannot be changed without this happening. So the question is, what does that mean that Paul was a servant of the gospel? This is what he says in 2 Corinthians chapter 11 in another letter that he wrote to the church in Corinth. Um, we'll have it up on the screen, but you can flip there if you want. Chapter 11, verse 24. Five times, he said, I received at the hands of the Jews. And he's talking about um, people who were like himself. He was a religious Jewish leader who tried to do everything he could to stop this movement by putting followers of Jesus into prison and overseeing their execution. He's now on the receiving end of that. So he says, five times I received at the hands of these religious leaders, 40 lashes less one. The the greatest punishment that somebody could receive by whipping. He says, Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. They tried to kill me by throwing rocks at me and left me for dead. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea, on frequent journeys, in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, without food and cold and exposure. Paul has given himself, he has decided that the status quo for him is not good enough, that he is going to disrupt his life to be a servant of this message so that as many people as possible can hear about who Jesus is. Now, not everybody here is going to be a Paul who travels around the world and is shipwrecked. But the question is, what does that look like for us to be a servant of this gospel? For Paul, he was, he was beaten, he was left for dead, he was shipwrecked, he was put into prison— didn't stop him. Us? We put Caleb on in our cubicle and wear a cross around our neck and if somebody doesn't walk up to us and say, oh, tell me about Jesus, we just consider, oh, I guess God didn't open that door. I mean, come on. What would it look like for you, if you're here and you're a follower of Jesus, if this is true in your life, to be a servant of this gospel? Individually, The image that I get and what this means is is who is disrupting your life? Who are you allowing to disrupt your life? And not because we are so amazing that we can wade into somebody's life, but because we, without Jesus, are alienated from God, hostile in mind, blaming him. And only Jesus reconciled us. And so what lives are you wading into? Who's around your kitchen table? Who are you giving your lunch hour up for? Not to preach at them, but to listen and try to bring your own life, your own brokenness and what Jesus has done for you into that. Who are you allowing to disrupt your life? You're in a small group. Who are you allowing into your small group? Many times when we talk about small groups and we talk about, boy, we need to plant, you know, we're growing as a church and we need more small groups, we need more room. When we talk about that, a lot of times the pushback that, that, that comes, and I felt it too, so I'm not pointing a finger, is, man, I really like our group. I like it the way it is. What are you, planning new groups? Are you making room? Are you allowing somebody's mess into your lives? Are you allowing God to disrupt the status quo in your life? As a church, are we gonna be the kind of church Are we gonna be the kind of church where people who are far from God are welcomed here with open arms? You might say, yeah, Benji, I got no problem with that. You might think, yeah, if a homeless guy comes in, sits next to me, hasn't showered for a few days, yeah, that's, that's fine with me, you know? But all of us have something. There's somebody who could walk through that door that would disrupt your life, disrupt your status quo, and you would not be okay with it. Might be somebody who votes differently from you might be somebody with a different sexual orientation. might be somebody who feels differently about standing or kneeling for the national anthem. Come on, I see your Facebook posts. Come on. There's somebody in your life that you would say, no, not them. Paul became a servant of this message because his life was changed by this this, this Jesus who died for him on the cross. How are you gonna let God disrupt your life? The status quo is comfortable. But if Jesus has really changed your life, isn't it worth it? Shouldn't there be a next step? Shouldn't the status quo be disrupted? Shouldn't your life become a mess and you share your mess with others? Shouldn't you become a servant of this message? I pray that's us as a church. Let me pray. God, I am a mess. God, I put on a mask. I put on a microphone. uh, I wear a decent shirt. I prep. And I put on this image that I have it all together. But the truth is, apart from you, apart from the grace of of your son Jesus and what he did for me on the cross, I am alienated from you. I am hostile towards you. I leave a wake of destruction around me, God. Thank you for your grace, that you did not leave me alienated from you, but God, that you broke into my life, that you were the and you, that God, you didn't just leave me there, but God, you reconciled yourself to me. You reconciled me to yourself, not because of anything I did, but because of what Jesus did for me. God, may we be the the kind of family, may we be the kind of people that recognizes what you did for us, that we wouldn't say, man, we're not that bad, so what Jesus did for us wasn't that good. No, that we would be humbled, that we would be broken, that no matter how many times we shook our fists in your face, that we are hostile towards you, you responded in love, and your own son Jesus didn't respond in anger, but gave his life over to us to be beaten, bruised, and hung on a cross. God, may our lives be transformed by that. For those who have yet to take that step, God, I pray that you would pierce their hearts. I pray that they would understand what grace is. I pray that they would understand that the and you is for them. That God, that you would work in their hearts, that they would see that there is a God that though they shake their fists in your face, that there is a God who responds and loves and says, come to me, please. I wanna be reconciled to you. I died for you. God, I pray for us as a family, that our lives would be wrecked, that our status quo would be demolished. God, that we would be servants of this message, not because we can do anything great, but because we understand the depths from which you brought us to reconcile us to yourself. Grace of Jesus on the cross, God. May that not only transform our lives internally, but may it change our lives, how we choose to spend our time, how we choose to spend our money, how we choose to open our house. So that people would come to know the grace and love of Jesus. God, that's all we have to hope on is your love and your grace and your son Jesus. And it's in his name that we pray. Let all the people say, amen.